Retirement planning is quite a challenge because of all of the different options, the different features, and people's different resources and objectives. Financial matters are kind of like a jigsaw puzzle. No matter what stage of life, whether you're a millennial, whether you're Gen X, whether you're in retirement. Jay's Corner is the name of the YouTube channel, as well as the name of the newsletter. You know, I know it's natural that people shake their head and say, well, you know, it shouldn't be this way, or I don't understand why it has to be so complicated. Uh, I'm just going to tell you that that's not, that, that's a different channel. That's a different topic. That's a different discussion entirely. I'm not out here trying to cast judgment on your individual jigsaw puzzle, how the pieces fit or don't. What I do know is the amount of noise that you're hit with is incredible. This is the world that we have. Let's try to do the best with the rules as given. Jay's Corner is here to help. There's something called the Life Insurance Retirement Plan, LERP. There are books, videos that make a lot about this. I'm going to go through what this actually is and what it really relates to, which is Index Universal Life. So I signed a second book deal, and it's going to deal with retirement planning. One big area is going to be life insurance. I thought what we would do is take a deep dive into certain examples to see whether or not they could possibly fit you. It is always going to be my ongoing message. The single most important thing when you're evaluating all of these different financial contracts is to correctly define exactly what your objective is. You should take the time to consider what choices that you will have to make. The reason that you'll want to have a very good objective, a very good handle of yourself, what you think you're trying to accomplish, is because a single financial contract is very unlikely to fit you know, 10 different objectives. And the simple reason is that it's just like when you're figuring out your household budget. You've got a fixed number of dollars, you've got a set number of bills, and then you have some other things that you want to do. Let's say you want to go out to eat. Let's say you want to stay home and have you know, a bottle of wine. Whatever it would be, you're trying to have some different type of objectives with a particular dollar. In the same way, when you're considering all of these different financial contracts, life insurance, a financial contract, ultimately, you need to pin down, nail down exactly what you are trying to do. When we go through these videos, I'm going to show you three different examples of different indexed universal life contracts. And I'm going to show you exactly what the different outputs are. The reason that this is important is because based on what your actual objective is, the conclusion of what is best will change. And that's simply because of the different ways that the carriers are setting up the contracts for different people. The information in today's video are going to be very important for your principles, meaning that, you know, not your moral principles, but so that you can actually understand how I'm examining comparing different contracts. It's a very important thing to remember that this is just an illustration. The carriers are changing, tweaking the contracts pretty frequently without you knowing without sending you an email or sending you a letter to say we've changed everything. Nevertheless, the messages here in today's video will apply as you're trying to compare different alternatives that you have, and there will be many. 
if you're here trying to look for final expense, meaning just for funeral expenses, let's just call it $25,000 as, as your benefit amount, your death benefit amount. This is not going to work for you. The objectives that I'm going to be examining here are much bigger in scale, at least $100,000 of death benefit, meaning there are other objectives involved. If your objective is solely for final expense, then it's very likely that the price range that we're going to talk about today are not really going to apply to you. In fact, you can click the link in the text below. You can get your quote in a very competitive market for limited amounts of final expense insurance. Instead, today, what we are looking at is index universal life. There are basically an almost an endless number of sellers of this. Most importantly, as it dovetails with my book, as it relates to my new book, the idea is that life insurance is kind of a mislabeling. One of the difficult things about analyzing, understanding financial stuff is the fact that we've got these labels. And so, you, as I said, it says insurance, but the reality is its function is going to be quite different. And that's why it's important to identify your objectives. We'll take a look at three examples. Whenever you're considering universal life, you're going to get a number of different payout tables. They're difficult to understand. I'm going to give you some of the basics on what I do in order to compare different sellers' policies. Let's begin. What you have here is carrier one for a 58-year-old female non-tobacco. Okay, and so I just set that here just for comparative purposes. Again, your situation will be different, but it's just to give you an idea of how to un understand the illustrations. What we have here on by carrier one is this, this yellow columns are, go are certain sets of assumptions. And I'm gonna talk about this term right here, which is called policy value. So basically what's happened is what we've presumed here is $10,000 a year of premium. And again, this is just for scaling purposes. So for $10,000 a year, what ends up happening is you can see that policy value is 5,650. What this basically is doing is it's paying for expenses. When you pay $10,000, you're paying for expenses. You're also paying for the probability that you pass away in that year. What remains after all of that stuff is policy value. And over time, you can see that it increases, right? This is based on a certain set of assumptions, which are here, right? Which is that 1% fixed account and then zero as these other things, which means basically at what rate this policy value is growing over time. That's what this is presuming. And that's why I've got these three different sets of colors. From here, you can see the second column, which is called surrender value. What surrender value is, is let's just say you stop paying entirely and you say you want to cancel your policy. This is the amount of cash that you are entitled to at that moment. Let's presume that you've not taken out any loans or there aren't any other charges, etc. You have canceled your policy at this point. At the end of year five, you'd be entitled to receive $6,609. That's the definition of the second column called 
surrender value. The third column here is called is the death benefits. And you know, we've got a typo here. So this should be death benefits. Okay. And you can see here what ends up happening is that if any point in time you pass away, then this then the beneficiaries would be entitled to five thousand five hundred and one thousand five hundred and seventy-one dollars. Let's continue on with carrier one. What you see here is a different set of assumptions. So you can remember what I told you. You've deposited $10,000. You've paid for expenses and the probability that you pass away in that, that year. Let's say, however, that the money grows faster than the guaranteed amount. You can see that the policy value here is 7741 obviously larger than 5650 the reason that has happened is because this what was left out of that $10,000 grew at a faster rate as a result the policy value is higher and on and on it goes and you can see we've got a third column where they've got another set of presumptions which is that so you can see this green presumed 3.25% meaning that that's the rate that the policy value inside during the year grew. The blue column here is at a higher percentage, and you can see again that the policy value is higher than either the green or the yellow, right? Which is that after year two, $16,000, 134, clearly higher than 15,651, obviously higher than 11,180. The simple reason that this number is higher is because this the rate at which the policy value grew was faster, greater. We're going to get to how that happened later on in today's video. No matter what carrier, you can presume that you're going to see at least two of these columns. And you can see here on, the, on this, I've moved tabs, I've changed carrier. We have slightly different answers, right? The same $10,000, and you can see different that the guaranteed value amount at the end of year one is 7,544, which is different than 5,650. Right away, you can see the complication because while this policy value is lower, you can see the death benefit far higher compared to carrier two, where you have a higher account value a notably lower death benefit. And this goes back to why I'm saying you must correctly define what you are trying to accomplish. Because if it's purely for the fact that you want the maximum death benefit amount to pass on to a beneficiary after you pass away, then you can see clearly for the same $10,000, you get a far bigger death benefit to a beneficiary. You might think to yourself, okay, well, this obviously makes this particular policy superior from carrier one. I'd say let's hold on for a second because that depends on what our objective is. But from death benefit alone, you can clearly see here that carrier one has a much higher death benefit for a fixed number of dollars. If I use that same set of dollars, you can see a lower death benefit. Let's get on to the second segment. Into these two carriers, what you saw was that the carrier number one 
looked to be much better as a result of the death benefit, notably higher $501,000 compared to $162,530. Very obvious. So if it's only for passing it to a beneficiary, then yes, you'll be able to find a carrier which is quite a bit different in terms of the death benefits that you're going to be allowed. We're going to get some extra details. That's what, that's what makes these videos tough. Literally, if I wanted to flip over every rock, we've got a five-hour video. So now we get to this next, this middle column, and you'll see, again, a difference in comparison. So basically, remember, this is the amount. So let's talk about what this actually means. What this actually means is from the first segment, which is this is the money that you get to actually access. You can see these differences based on your objective. Let's change your, object, your objective from passing to death benefit to beneficiaries. And let's say that you wanted to access it for retirement planning purposes for yourself. It's not going to be obvious that carrier one here at this $501,000 benefit is superior to carrier two at all because that entirely depends on the objective that you control. Under carrier two, even with a lower rate, not 3.25%, but at 3%, at the end of year 10, you can access $92,600. And now you've got it. You can see the difference at the end of year 10. At the end of year 10 here, what this policy has done is increase the benefit over time from 163 on and on all the way to 248. You can take, this is the amount that you can borrow tax-free and this is the retirement miracle, right? Because now your rate, your rate of return hasn't, has only needed to be 3%. And again, keep watching the video because we'll be discussing what that stuff actually means. So now you can see the trade-off and why I said right from the beginning that you're going to want to have a very clear definition of what your objective is. That if your objective was to pass money to beneficiaries, this is the bigger amount of money. However, if you want access to cash for yourself for retirement purposes, this has provided, even with a lower rate of return, a far bigger amount of money than the $69,000 stated here. The result of that to the buyer, consumer, yourself, right, is that if you have a good definition of what you're trying to accomplish, then you can understand how to look through the all of the different grids because you can get 20 of these. I mean, literally, I could have had 20, 20 you know, tabs, no problem. Absolutely. Are there more than 20 sellers of things that look and feel similarly to this? Yes, there are. There are going to be. Nevertheless, what you, is very difficult is to take the same lens to be able to compare them side by side. The candid reality, do we do this for people? Yes, we do. But again, our first question is always to clarify what your objective is. Because as you can see, the result of what you would then ultimately choose 
is driven from there. Too frequently, people just go, okay, well, I want this and that and all of, you know, all of the above. But you can see how big the trade-offs actually are. Let's get to the third segment. You can see that the different net cash surrender value, this middle column here, it changes. Value in here changes from these different colored sets. 40,980, 49,664, over here 55,331. They change in value based on the performance of what goes into the account value. Okay, so you can remember that from the prior segment that for every $10,000, some amount goes to expenses, some amount goes to the probability that you pass away in that year, the rest attached to account value. And from there, it grows. The rate at which it grows is basically the difference among these three different sets of columns. Let's just take the green column as an illustration here. 49,664. This presumed that you were accreting, the account value was accreting at 3% a year after taking out those two expense numbers that I told you. And at the end of five years, what you see is 49,664. Well, the question is, is how do you actually accumulate the 3%? And now we have more details. Here is just one of the carrier's sets of different options that you have. Okay, and you can see it's a fairly extensive of 10 different allocations you can make to, to your account value, if you will. Okay, so what you can do is you get to switch these around. The carriers will tell you how frequently you can reallocate. Let's go through some of these and we're not going to take a look at every single one of these, okay? We're, we're just not going to because the, the reality is, the reality is, is all the different carriers will have all different lists. They've reached agreement with the index providers for calculations, et cetera, et cetera. And all of the carriers will have different lists. They will, may look or feel similarly, but they will not be precisely the same. This is a complicating factor because as a result of this, that affects the rate at which you're going to be credited. A couple of things here. Remember back to my first principle, which is you must correctly define what your objective is. If you're trying to grow an investment portfolio solely, solely, your allocation to these indices is not going to replicate just simple holdings of the S&P 500, simple holdings of the bond index that you might have in, in ETF form or in mutual fund form, for example, in a private investment account. It's simply not the case. The reason for that is complicated because inside of each of these allocation strategies, can be a number of different terms, caps, floors, participation percentages. Those are the simple ones. Even here, where you see that the S&P 500 composite stock price index, something that is reported on around the clock on CNBC or on financial media, 
the the way that this is calculated in your return inside of a life insurance policy will be different than simply owning an ETF or a mutual fund, which is mimicking the S&P 500. The return itself will be different. If your sole objective is to try to grow an investment account, life insurance return inside that policy will not produce the same type of returns in up markets. That all said, you can see that your policy does rely, right? In other words, these numbers absolutely do rely on financial markets returns. I try to tell people that it's like related to financial market returns, not precisely financial market returns. It's a subtle but important difference. It doesn't mean, by the way, that, okay, well, as a result, this is useless and just buy the S&P 500 or whatever your investment strategy might be. Comprehensive financial planning clients actually get recommendations on, okay, let's just think about what the correct allocation is, as opposed to all or nothing, just forget about the topic entirely, because depending on what your objectives are. So let's continue on here. You can see a notable difference here in the amount uh, that you would be credited and therefore that sits in both the policy value as well as the surrender value. The surrender value, remember, is the amount of money that you can withdraw or take a policy loan against in order to create retirement funds, for example. Their emphasis is far different between carrier one and carrier two. Let's focus back on the composition here. And that's your main takeaway, which is that your allocation strategies will matter. You'll want to review them to make sure that you're on track here, that you're tracking what this projected values actually are, both the account value and the net surrender value. In this instance, you can see it affects the death benefit. In Carrier 1's policy, it doesn't change the death benefit. And so now, again, back to my first principle of correctly identifying your objective. The fact of the matter is, is that the smart guys in the room, the persons, the companies that have put together the indices as well as the calculations, are using the extra monies and the calculation differences in order to create the packages of benefits. The idea that you'd be able to disassemble all of the ingredients to be able to reveal exactly the balance, you cannot do this. A private person can absolutely not do this. In fact, there are over-the-counter agreements amongst the insurance company and Wall Street brokerage, or maybe the insurance company is managing it internally, they're keeping track of how much the, they would have to owe, how much they can credit, and then what hedging strategies they're using in the background in order to create those that profile of returns. Again, if it sounds complicated, that last couple of sentences, there's a reason for it. It is. It's complicated. We're still back to the central principle, which is that the amount of this return here presumed, 3% here, for example, in this one, the, the column was cut off, 5.72%. You can see that it has a notable difference, a notable effect then on how much is sitting in here inside of your cash value. 
And you can see after year six, 49,664 versus after year six here, 29,680. Big difference. That all said, you can see the death benefit much larger. You're going to want to choose and to adjust these index allocations through time. In the current environment, you have such higher volatility in financial markets. That will have a ripple effect here on this number here, which is the non-guaranteed assumptions, meaning that you could, that these surrender values, these policy values will not exactly match the document that you receive. It's also not going to match the guaranteed here on the left, which is this is fully guaranteed because they just pushed down the presumption as if you're always getting the rock bottom minimum. It's never, it's not going to be negative. It's not going to be negative as long as your policy value here exceeds the cost of insurance plus the expenses. We'll get to that balance in the next segment. The fact of the matter is that some of you know may have received a notice from the life insurance company saying that your life insurance policy is going to expire if you don't make a big payment of premium. How can this happen? Can this happen in index universal life? The answer to that is yes, it can happen. And let's take a look at the far left column, which is the far left, this stuff in the yellow is presuming, for example, that the, that the premium, the guaranteed amount is, is 2%. In other words, that's the guaranteed amount that the account value grows by. That said, as we go through time, it is, is it possible that your amount, in other words, your life insurance, it can expire and you can see it down here. You need to understand something about universal life, which is that what we've presumed here is that you're making a $10,000 annual premium payment. That said, can your life insurance expire worthless? The answer to that is yes for this specific type of insurance, which is universal life. Remember there's this account value here and it's sitting here and I've put it on this cell here in column E. That what can happen over time, you can remember certain amounts have to be deducted. One which is the expenses, one which is the probability that you pass away in a particular year. The issue is if the growth inside the account value right, is lower than the cost of those two items in a year, your account value can go to zero and then it would expire worthless. You can see it here as I'm scrolling down, which is down here at 94, 95 years old, that at this point, if, if you had 2% a year, every year, right, which is the minimum, then this policy would expire at that time 30 in year after year 37. This is the 37th payment. At that point, 170 that during that last year, 179,000 would be the death benefit, and the next year it would be zero. Does this mean I think that, it, that it's bad? No, as long as you understand what you're actually doing. 
it is good idea to carefully look at what's the worst case scenario, even amongst all of these contracts, because you can see the guarantee here is that everything is negative for a long period of time. Can this policy run out? The answer to that is yes. Is that a reason to choose a different policy? That is up to the buyer, right? That's really up to you because you can see over here on carrier number one, what ends up happening is the same stuff going on at a lower interest rate. And now you can see what happens. This guy runs out earlier at 84. So you can see now what has happened, right? Which is that at five for a much larger benefit, the cost of insurance portion that I talked about, probability adjusted to pay the 501, means that the cost of insurance is much higher, which means that if your reserve pot, your policy value doesn't increase at a particular rate, the policy value will be reduced to zero at much sooner. This isn't with a p prediction from me about whether or not this policy or another carrier's policy will return a particular rate. It's not. Right? Again, that has something to do with the complication of the prior segment, which has to do with these types of not only the index selection, but also the calculation, which is difficult to manage and difficult to understand. It takes thought. It is complicated beyond today's video. And I don't want to tell you that I'm just going to be a Debbie Downer. Because if you just go to their, to a 3%, you can see, for example, now you have a different issue entirely. And you can see this doesn't expire. And in fact, if you get to be over 100 years old, we hope, what, or maybe you don't hope, but let's just say, and you can see that there are scenarios where your, your death benefit actually increase over time. Why? Because your accretion, meaning that your, the amount that you're policy values increasing exceeds everything else and it flows through to the death benefit. Can that happen? The answer is yes. And note, I've not used the aggressive return profile. The aggressive return profile, for example, that stuff happens that the 501 starts increasing much sooner. You can see here in year 30 at the time that they're 87. So this female lives to 87, and now you can see this starts to bump up, and this is a typo, obviously, that P did not exist. But you can see what ends up happening, which is that the, that the fact that the policy value, the rate at which it's increasing, exceeds the cost of insurance, so much so that your death benefits start to increase. Last point, because I know that this video has tons of information you'll want to watch it a number of times you can leave your comments likes subscribe etc etc leave your comments and ask your questions i'd be happy to answer them let's go back to the first principle which is correctly i accurately identifying what you're trying to do so my point here is that you have to choose prioritize what's important to you what your objective is so that you can then choose the policy not the other way around. Too many times in personal finance, what we have is go to the result and say, I want to get that to that without thinking about what your actual objective is. Yes, of course, I would like to have all different types of features and pay the lowest price and have all and retain all the features. We know better than that. It depends on which ones are most important to you.
Last point. Are there policies that are like this, which are universal life, where this does, is guaranteed to not run out? Meaning it doesn't run out at, 90, at 93. But it lasts until you're you know, 200 years old. Yes, that exists. But you can hear, if you follow this video up until this point, that the trade-off will definitely be the fact that you don't get access to the surrender value. In some cases, you get no access to the surrender value. Why? Because you're paying this premium in order to make sure that, in fact, the death benefit is fully guaranteed and never runs out, irrespective of the performance or the results of these calculations from these strategies. The takeaway here is that one size fits all just can't possibly be the case. It's also not a negative. You hear a war story. This insurance company did this to me. This horrible thing happened to me under my life insurance. My parent, my uncle, my some relative, I heard of some war story at a bar. The reality is the carrier is going to fulfill its obligations as defined in the contract. It's more about, number one, you identifying exactly what you're trying to accomplish. And then number two, having a good sounding board so that you can compare these different options and what the actual results will be under different scenarios. When those first two steps have occurred, then you fit to what is the amount that you can allocate towards those objectives. And then you're finding out whether you can afford it and whether or not this fits your budget. It's never going to be my financial advice to anyone, my guidance, my counsel on any service to make someone insurance poor. That does not make sense because then after just a couple of years, you stop paying and now you've incinerated the, your money. My point is before we even get to the execution point, we will have considered all of these steps in order to find the appropriate solution. Is it a miracle? It's not a miracle. I've explained it to you today. Hopefully you liked today's video. Be sure to like, subscribe, leave your comments, and don't forget Jay's Corner, the newsletter. Email into your inbox multiple times a week.